Alright man, welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 241. Jason Lingren is with me and Mr. Benjamin Balderson. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of topics that are near and dear to my heart, cymatics. Uh, we're going to say quite a number of things about cymatics. And uh, as it turns out, Ben also researched the main name that gets held up, a German guy named Hans Jenner. But unfortunately, his very expensive hardback book, which is basically the face of cymatics to the public at this point, doesn't have a lot to say, um, per se. If you know things, you can put it together. Uh, we're going to cover emoto, vibration, frequency, all kinds of things here. Um, so it should be a good episode, and welcome, Jason. And a very stormy good morning to you. You guys are still storming it up, huh? We're, we're the opposite. We're like at 95 already in the shade. Yeah, we've got another fun flood watch going on for the next few days. All right. Well, if you don't have anything, let's uh, jump in with Ben. Welcome, Ben. How's it going, Carl? Good, man. Uh, we haven't spoken in a while. Be good to catch up here. Um, we should stipulate that you are mostly self-taught, uh, but you do it. You live pretty much off-grid. Uh, you recognize nature for what it is, and you do your own stuff out there to learn what you learn, right? Absolutely. I have a, a lab that these days, the last year has been insane. And my lab's really top-notch at this point. I, I'm almost to the point where I can do some of the experiments that Moto was. And that's the eventual goal because I have some other things that we're going to talk about later that I'm adding into that process and other understandings. And I'm actually fully off-grid. Um, I got 40 solar panels now. My river water comes right out. It's Mount Lassen snowmelt. It's uh, fantastic. How, how would you describe your lab? Is it spagyrics or spagyria, or is it beyond that? It's beyond that by quite a bit. It's, uh, I can do everything from, I've got things that I can do at extreme negative temperatures all the way up to extreme high temperatures. I'm playing with metals, you name it at this point. I'm spinning things out, separating components that wasn't available just out of straight distilling. Um, it's it's been a great year. Well, let's put a framework. You know, you're living in basically an old growth, pretty pure place that's not all polluted. And recall back when we had Clive or a number of people on talking about like fulvic acid as one of the things where to give you the idea of what we're actually talking about, he said, go into the middle of an old growth forest, uh, pick up the leaf litter in the soil under those old, old hardwood trees put it in water, make mud, and then drink some of it. There's your pure fulvic minerals uh, to give the idea of how these things, the quality of them matters. But another thing was the C60 idea. Um, Jason and I stepped away from the synthetic C60s. And uh, as we began to look into it, of course, just regular charcoal, not activated charcoal, uh, will give you C60 that is not likely to turn you into an antenna, which is was the concerns I have. And I don't know that for sure. But I've studied enough of it that why would you bother with synthetic if you can just simply get it naturally from charcoal? But um, let's jump in here and let's start with cymatics. Let's describe what they are. And we should say a word or two about Hans Jenner. Absolutely. So cymatics in the most simplified form is, is typically a, a, a fluid is what you're going to catch it on. Although there are some malleable solids that also are used in cymatics and all this is doing is catching a vibration now most people are going 
gonna immediately think of sound and and there's some real simple si- sound uh, cymatic experiments you can do at home with something so simple as cornstarch and water and a speaker and all kinds of different things that you can do but when you start looking at the some of the other studies that have been done you start realizing like emoto used just pictures or a word a song so literally anything that is carrying a vibration and when you start understanding even in deeper like using a geiger counter to measure a crystal like emeralds to tell whether it's a true emerald or a fake emerald uh, geiger counter is one of the easiest methods to use on that and all that is, is again a vibration it's just throwing out an energy and that's getting caught on a medium and so you're able to visualize it this is what cymatics is so for the most part we should maybe explain a little bit because what i find about cymatics is mostly it shows you these cool shapes um on what you usually sand sometimes a viscous liquid on a plate that's either round or square most of the time and people say oh that's a neat design but they're not getting what it means almost anything that's matter and i don't know if you're going to agree with this or not um Anything that's matter has a vibrational rate. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we know this, we can already understand that when we're looking at cymatics, someone puts a pile, just throws a pile of some sand on a plate, hits it with a vibration rate or a hertz rate or frequency rate, however you want to view that. And suddenly, instantaneously, uh, a geometry is formed. What you're looking at is the creation of matter. And it's quite magical. But if you look at like simple cymatic pattern say like there's a a cymatic pattern that's been done on a vibrating plate with sand it looks like maybe a four-leaf flower now this is where we get people thinking about what's actually going on where the lines of sand are are the periphery of the vibration where the lack of sand is is where the cycling energy is creating the form do you think i described that very well that's excellent Excellent. Yeah, this is basic field energy is what's going on here. And even if you're looking at active field energy, like if you've ever watched Ken Wheeler's videos where he's showing the field magnetics, you can absolutely see the dark areas and the light areas chasing each other. So let's think a minute about what we just defined. So just think of a simple four leaf, like a flower pattern, like three flower petals or four, just do four four flower petals where the sand is at the periphery outlining what the petals of the flower would be that is the periphery of the vibration the vibration is cycling circularly inside where the petal has been defined but there is no sand so think about what we're saying here when you up the frequency all of a sudden more petals or more geometry until you really up it then there's all this intensely intricate geometry and when you hit what i call to be pure frequencies it will be very well defined and this will bring us back to the discussion which we're not really going to cover but i'll point it out the difference between tuning instruments to 432 or 440 if you use a round plate and you do 432 you get a very intricate geometry design that is well-defined. When you go to 440, the intricacy is there, but the definition is not. It's like smudgy, um, and that tells you quite a bit. So do you think I dropped anything out, or do you think we've framed it well enough to have this conversation? 
I like to use the analogy, if anybody's old enough to remember the TVs back when you turn it to the station U, and then it would have a whole bunch of other little stations behind it. And so you could turn it to that primary station, and then you had to turn that secondary dial behind it in order to clear the picture up so you could actually see the picture. And this is as you're adjusting the frequencies, and this is clearing up the picture where, like you said at the beginning, where it's setting the periphery, this is how much power you have. Because one of the things that people don't understand is, is with energy, as you amp up the power, it actually shortens the bandwidth. So like, like as uh, the 5G dis discussion that everybody likes to have, one of the things they don't understand is, is how limited that area can be because as they increase the power, the bandwidth shortens and you have to put repeaters that much more often. So the periphery set, when it's a, when it's a smaller power, it actually is a much wider periphery. And then it becomes much more intense and focused like a laser. And then, like you said, as you amp up the frequency, the intricacy of it becomes more intense. And then you have the clarity of it. So these are all different features that you have to take into account when you're looking at cymatics. It's not just one thing. So let's cover Hans Jenner for a moment. If people go to places like Amazon and say, hey, man, I want to know something about cymatics and you're going to do your little search. Hans Jenner is, well, I haven't done it recently, but when I did do this about six, seven months ago, Hans Jenner uh, was the main source for most of it. And it's a big, beautifully made hardback full color book. But for the most part, it's showing you pretty pictures. And if you don't know enough to put together and go a little further than what the text is telling you and showing you, there's really not a lot of information about cymatics. I mean, you get an overview at best. And how can this be? Cymatics is so important, you would think that if you went to a place like Amazon or, or even, you know, archive.org for that matter, there would be all these options. And really, it comes down to this. In the modern age, Hans Jenner is the most proffered name. If you try to go back in time, it's going to be the Kaladni kind of pencil drawings. Most of the time, an incomplete set of the Kaladni stuff, most of the time without the frequency labeled to tell you what made that pattern. But in the Hans Jenner material, which is ironic, um, there's the proof of what they call anti-gravity devices. Um, and we'll get into that because you said something about bees, which we should cover, which I had no damn idea. So in the Jenner work, they show, I think it's a viscous liquid is put on a metal plate and then the pattern is made with cymatics. Then they tip it up vertical and they turn off the power source and all the viscous liquid begins to slide off the plate and they put the power back on and it jumps right back up to make the pattern it was. Then they do the same thing with the plate upside down. So the viscous liquid liquid without the frequency begins to fall away from the plate or drip. As soon as they turn it on, it sucks right back up to the plate. And that is, case in point, a starting point to prove out the idea of anti-gravitics. But Ben told me something I didn't know. Nature already, nature already did this, didn't it? Absolutely. The bumblebee actually cannot fly it's they're, they're entirely too large to fly off the actual wing power it's not pushing air down and fighting gravity in any way the the bee is actually creating a vibration and it has a sac in there that resonates it and when it reaches resonance 
the bee will levitate and then them little bitty wings is just using to for directional. Well, now, now you know how when you watch every nature show, they say, well, scientifically, a bee shouldn't be able to fly, which on the face of it is ridiculous because everybody knows a bee does fly. So the problem is not with the bee. The problem is with the science. But you see, this is what we're talking about with cymatics. How is it that they don't know damn well how the bee is flying? And it has nothing to do with aerodynamics and these other things. There's a whole cymatic thing going on here, apparently, which, by the way, is an interesting conversation because our next episode, well, you'll already have heard it by the time this goes live, will be all about bees. But I mean, do you know of any other examples in the animal kingdom or is the bumblebee the one? The hummingbird also doesn't have enough wing to carry its fat little body it makes zero sense that bird can just sit and literally just levitate and this has there it should not be able to do that again this be this bird is reaching a resonance and that's as part of why if you've ever sat next to a hummingbird you can literally feel the buzzing like it's an insect next to you so this brings us to why nature is important because for those of us that wanted to demonstrate things or learn things it is possible to figure out what is the resonant frequency of a bumblebee wing or a hummingbird. A matter of fact, I would imagine with a hummingbird, it would not be a hard thing to look up. But of course, you'd want to do it on your own because apparently nobody in this world can talk about the cymatic magic that's going on. They're just going to tell you about beats. But that will lead us into the conversation we're about to have unless there's anything you want to add to it. Nope. Let's go in with it. Oh, the, you also noted in your notes, supposedly Galileo was doing the whole cymatics thing, which I was not aware of. <clears throat> yep. Gal, supposedly Galileo was also one. Uh, he, historically, his is one of the first writings for cymatics. And it's just a very, it's just a very mild, but I believe he was also talking about the resonance also. And when you're looking at things like when people are trying to figure out how to, the great pyramids are moved. Many great minds have put out that this was moved with sound, that there was a sound resonance pushed underneath it, and they were just pushed by with somebody's fingers. Now, now you know. Now that I'm thinking about this, um, I've said for many years now, you should be able to take a telescope at high power, film a star, take it out of focus, and then manipulate the video that you get from that in any number of ways to detect a cymatic pattern. So here we have the greatest stage name of all time, Galileo Galilei, lifted from the Bible and doubled. Uh, instantly famous name. First time anyone ever heard it, that was, you know, you're never forgetting that name. Uh, beautiful piece of stagecraft there, but he's associated with looking at the stars, isn't he? He's associated with some of their supposed, which I don't accept, earliest telescopes. But my point is, you can see there's this whole side of nature that is being hidden away. Because if you could deduce the cymatic pattern of a star, you could then figure out the frequency. But let's move in. Do you want to get into the ideas here that, that are prominent, like a moto? Absolutely. So a lot of people are familiar with Masuru Emoto's work. And Emoto's general work was his very first, his very first experiments were that he went around to different areas and took out samples out of the natural water sources and took droplets and, and flash froze them and immediately noticed that they had cymatic patterns. And depending on the area, sometimes they'd produce a, a very intricate, very beautiful pattern. 
sometimes that they would produce uh, not so intricate and sometimes they would not even produce a pattern. Well, then he, he furthered that research and started noticing things like when he got, he, when he took water that was prayed over that it would now produce a pattern where it would not before. Then he wanted to start putting his own external input and try and see what kind of things he could get with that. So he went and he distilled the water, which removed the memory from the water. And then he started doing an entire series of experiments. And these included putting a picture in front of the water and taking droplets and flash freezing it, uh, putting just words, saying the words, thinking, just thinking at the water, um, having groups of children think happy thoughts. And they, and they wouldn't just do it with happy thoughts. They would do it with sad thoughts, angry, hateful, joyous, loving of the entire spectrum. And then went and flash froze each of these things. So understanding that each of these things is putting out a different vibration. And so when he would flash freeze them with the distilled water, the distilled water always produces a, a hexagon when it, when it flash freezes or the majority of the time. So when he would put that external input, whatever that was, was a variance from this hexagon. That was like a clean slate. And so whatever patterns that was going to produce from that was truly just picking up those cymatic patterns. Well, he found that when it was a very happy, uh, loving, uh, anything on that spectrum, it would produce a much more intricate pattern. And then when it was angry and hateful, many times it either would not produce a pattern or some of the patterns, there was one, uh, I will kill you. And it literally produced a pattern of a man. It looked like he was holding a gun. That one was very interesting. There's just an entire spectrum of things that this fluid medium is catching. So let's, let's give a little bit of primer to catch people up to the philosophical ideas about everything that's in nature. Um, from an old alchemical point of view, which is the philosophical way of viewing our world in natural sciences, maybe it'd be better be called natural sciences. All the things in our world have a spirit, a soul, and a body. Now, don't get hung up on the word spirit and soul because they vary a little bit from what you've learned about those words in religions and other things. To give you the example, when you go into the liquor store, um, all those bottles of liquor say spirit on them. That's a holdover from alchemy. And truly, they're telling you truly from the alchemical point of view, there are spirits in that bottle. Um, to take it a step further, if you're just a human being walking down the street and you're breathing, that breath that you're breathing would be the idea of spirit. Now, salt is the body. Uh, that's why we get the old sayings like salt of the earth. Um, if you follow. So basically, we're talking about three philosophical ideas that help describe and give a schematic way for us to manipulate and do things within the scope of nature. And that's going to become very important to the conversation we're about to have because Mr. Balderson here has tried to figure out if a motor was right and water has memory, what's holding the information. So there it is. There's your cue up. Absolutely. So when we started out this discussion with Emoto, again, when he wanted to start putting his external input into that and have that show rather than the natural, in, the natural cymatics that happen 
happened from the memory of the water, he distilled the water out. So as an alchemist, you understand that when you, all the parts that you distill, that's your etheric parts. And what that leaves is the hard body. Now, alchemically, the spirit or this oil, this unlocks the salt and makes the salt bioavailable. This is what creates the potency. This is where the memory and the, the amperage of the, of the plant, the same applies in this setup. Now, this is the part that most people are missing. The, the automatic statement is, is that water has memory, but distilled water always produces this hexagon. Now, when you put external input, it will catch that because the water is the receiver. That's the medium. But now the reason that he took that salt out is because that was holding its own memory. So this medium that's showing and catching is also opening up the salt. The salt went from a hard crystal that just had the cleavage, the habitat uh, of a hard crystal that you could look at and not tell anything else about to now it's open and that's able to produce its own cymatic pattern. All right, so so Ben was beginning to describe. We had a little bit of dropout. He's way up in the mountains right now. Um, ben was beginning to describe that Emoto said, "Hey, man, all this information. Water has memory. Look, we can put intention. We can put thought. We can even use pictures and words and all these things to put basically a frequency, a cymatic pattern to be memorized into the water." So what Ben's doing is saying, "Well, what is it?" that's holding this. So let's cue up a couple things. When someone distills water from the philosophical point of view, what are they affecting body, spirit, or soul? The spirit. Okay. So the spirit, the more etheric of the ideas is being removed. Is that correct from the distilled water? Exactly. Just like with alchemy, when you, when you start out, the spirit will underheat the, the spirit will rise up and actually leave you catch that into into another flask and that leaves the the body part the crystal part and the crystal part under heat rather than leave will actually come together and solidify so basically what we're getting into is of the three philosophical components of anything a tree water anything we're going to talk about body spirit and soul and you have for most, for the for the sake of this conversation, you removed one of those things from this conversation to try to determine what's holding the memory in the water. And you pointed out earlier that once you've affected the spirit out of distilled water, and so basically philosophically, if I'm following you correctly, you've got body and soul in distilled water. Um, the pattern's always six-sided, right? Uh, yes. The cymatic pattern. So now you're drilling in. So take it from there. So hopefully people can can get where we're going here. So this six-sided pattern, this which philosophically also is the shape for the flower of life, this six-sided pattern, this is ready to catch anything. But as soon as I distill this out, this is again going to just produce a six-sided pattern. This does not. This will not hold the memory. Now, just like with the alchemy, the salt side under the same fire is not going to lose that. But just like with alchemy, now that these two things are separated, you're going to have the water that only produces the six-sided pattern without external input and the salt that's just salt. And just like with electrically, 
distilled water will not carry a charge and your salt side is also not going to carry a charge. When you put the two things together, now the charge will carry. Everything's opened up. So now you can see through the distilled water, it's now going to start producing whatever pattern was in that salt when you take it out and drop it into and flash freeze it. That pattern was already written into the salt. So, so wait a minute here. Let me try to simplify this down. So basically you've distilled the water, which means it's going to hold a six-sided pattern cymatically. When you begin to introduce other things that would create a cymatic pattern, it will still be a six-sided pattern. Is all that correct? When you introduce something else, it will now hold that for just a second. But as soon as you distill it out again, that memory's gone. It's, it's, only, it's basically like when you type something on your computer and it's on the screen for a minute, but if, you, if power turns out, it's gone. It's not, it doesn't really remember it. So you saw it there on the etheric part, but it didn't transfer into the hard part. So basically what we're saying is you have this water. It's got Lord knows what cymatic or what memories are held within the water. You distill it, and that's like erasing the chalkboard. Now you're starting from open to anything again. Um, so truly, was that information removed? Is that what you're saying? It was removed out of the etheric portion. Okay. Is that because there's no way for it to store the information? Correct. The etheric portion doesn't have that part. The information is stored in the salt. So once you put that salt back to the back in with the water, now the water opens up the salt, and now that will produce its own cymatic patterns that the salt remembers. The two things work in conjunction. This is just like alchemically. You've got the oil side and you've got the salt side. Now the oil side opens up the salt side and makes that bioavailable. The same thing energetically, voltage and amperage. The voltage opens the path up and then the amperage is where the power is coming from. So basically what you're saying here is the body holds the cymatic memory. So when Emoto is saying there's memory in water, what he's actually saying is the salt or the body within this water philosophically is what's memorizing the cymatic pattern. Absolutely. So to further take that a step further, um, you can get the salt to hold it, but without the other two constituent points, you said the word oil, so you should probably clarify that, but without spirit and soul, you can have the memory, but it's not a completely functional system. Exactly. It, it's not actually written into the hard drive, which again, for most people, this is easiest with the computer, is understanding that you can type in an entire report, but until you hit save, it's not actually saved. You, you can see it there with your eyes, but it's not saved into the system. This is the same idea. The water is the screen and it's the software, and you have to transfer that into the hard drive, which is the salt, or else it's not going to be remembered. What would you call water with the salt removed? I would call that the perfect feminine that is waiting to take in any information. Distilled water is on the acidic side and it will grab anything until it reaches its balance point. What would you call water with the spirit removed? Dead. What, well, is there a typical, are, we use words like distilled. So are there words that we use that would reflect what I'm asking you? 
distilled water, like I said, it it's your distilled water with all your salts, all your electrolytes, just your basic. Although there's an argument that H2O isn't water. And without getting into that entire argument, um, just stating H2O, just the basic water with all the other components removed is the perfect feminine ready to, to ready to open up and take in as much information as possible until you've reached a saturation point. So let me, let me try this one more time. If we have words like distilled or other words that we typically used, what would you refer to? Is there a word we use that would refer to water where the body's been removed? Distilled. Okay. So we had that backwards a minute ago and I was having a problem with it because we said it was spirit. What would you call water with spirit removed? Well, the spirit, there's no spirit in, in the water because that's your alcohol spike. So when you're like, when you're doing alchemy, the alcohol spikes open the cells, that's your spirit. And that's, what's going to open it up. And then the water opens up the salt and then the sulfur is also on the body side of things. So the spirit and the sulfur kind of match up together and the oil and the salt match up together. Okay. I thought we were getting off track. So basically distilled water has had the body removed, the salt. Yes. That's what holds the water memory. Yet you can take the distilled water, put a cymatic pattern in it, and it will always be six-sided, almost like a blank piece of paper waiting for someone to put information on it. Correct. Does that correlate whenever I hear six, I'm thinking carbon. Is that correlating somehow with the idea of carbon? Absolutely. When you're looking, when you break apart a plant, for instance, you're going to have three levels of oil. Then you're going to have three levels of earth. And then you're going to have three levels of salt. And then each of the three levels breaks down into four, giving you 12 pieces on each level. Well, when you look at your three earth, your three earth levels or your carbon plane levels, that's going to be water, carbon, and cellular material, which is just the outside shell. So your cellulite, cellulose, anything like that, that's just the basic outside shell. And when you break, when you do your alchemy, that's going to be the white ash that's left behind. And then the water, which is on the completely etheric or, or the oil, which is on the completely etheric end in the water, those are going to evaporate off. And then the carbon, which is on the very center level, is what's going to, it can be either or. It can be solid or liquid. So when you put that, the heat, it's solid under normal circumstances. But then when you put that under fire, then it turns into liquid and gases off. So the cellular material, the water, and the carbon are your 666. Right. So it's most people don't understand that carbon and the triple six idea are synonymous in a certain usage. But I got to ask, when you're doing this, how are you viewing the cymatic pattern? How, how do you make it visible so you know it's there? That requires the, well, depending on how strong the cymatic pattern is. Like this is part of why when some people musically is typically the most well-known. So when you're doing it musically, you're throwing such a strong pattern at it. You know, you, you put it on top of your speaker, you set your speakers in a pattern around it, and blast it into the, into the medium. So then it's, it's so focused and so powerful that you can immediately view it where with Emoto, where he was putting in a much, much more diffuse, uh, energy. He was taking it out and then flash freezing it to pick up the cymatic pattern. Is that what you're doing? Are you flash that's, freezing? That's what, that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm doing. And that's where, that's the hardest part is trying to holy flash freezing things to, 
I'm down to negative 80 right now. And it's still, that's trying to get that to pattern up right and do it quick enough is so hard. And it's such a wicked energy draw. So if I'm following, the proof is in the pudding. So what you could do, or what I'm guessing you will do to prove your idea here is you take some water and you'll put a pattern in it, a cymatic pattern. You'll remove the salt. Then you'll take the salt and you'll go over to some distilled water from somewhere else. And you'll add that salt into the distilled water and see if it held the cymatic pattern that was first introduced. Is that right? That's precisely right. Because if my theory is correct and I can prove it out, like you said, the proof is in the pudding. I can take and produce and take a specific cymatic pattern. And here's where the trouble comes in is, is the reason Emoto cut that part out was because now we have to take so long to write that into the salt. So the salt's not going to immediately catch it as easily as the water. The water, it was very easy. That's meant to catch it. Now, how long do we have to keep producing that frequency at what kind of strength in order to get that to write into the salt? And then every, every different carbon-based life form has an entire set of, of 12 cell salts. So in those 12 cell salts have an order of stability. So my theory is, is that obviously the least stable of the cell salts is going to be the easiest to overwrite. And then the most stable is going to be the hardest to overwrite. And the least stable is going to hold the memory the, the least and the, the most stable is going to hold it the best. So once I can figure that out and I can take and produce a pattern that I choose and implant that into the salt and I send that to Jason and Crow and I, I distill it out and I take them grains of salt, send them to Jason and Crow and have them flash freeze them droplets of water. Will it produce the same cymatic pattern that I chose and put in there out of distilled water and a crystal of salt? So there's actually so much more that I can see where this is leading. And just to be clear, we've talked about cell salts. That's exactly what we're talking about. If you go online right now and look up Highlands, H-Y, Highlands cell salts, there are 12 of them. They correspond to the months of the year. There's books on it, but this is exactly what we're talking about. But it seems to me that you can even take, if you can prove that the salt is, is holding the memory um, and you can prove that the distilled water is just holding a blank six-sided slate to be written onto, almost like all hard drives have six sides, maybe you could describe it. Um, here's the next thing. So if you had a 12-sided cymatic pattern encoded into the salt and you proved that you could go to a different place, put the salt in a different water and get your pattern back and prove the memory was there, you could start to think about what if the water there already had a six-sided pattern memorized into it and you introduce your salt with the 12-sided pattern overriding? Now, people might be thinking, what the hell's Crow on about? But think about this. We're going to probably talk about amplitude and, and all these other things. Think about the wireless signals all around us. When they put more power and a higher frequency in cymatics, that would be a more intricate design. So do you see where I'm going here? Absolutely. And, and with the more power, it would be more laser-like rather than this diffuse signal that you, that's kind of mixing in a chorus with the other signals. We've now made a laser that you can't ignore, completely drowning out the other signals. 
which is why they have to keep adding that amplitude higher and higher. And then not only that, we can start talking about things like, like these television programs and uh, video games, right. radio programs, where they're, they have frequencies that's purposely opening you up to alpha brain, where you are open up and you're more on that feminine side where you're just ready to receive whatever information you can. You're on the more diffuse or the more six-sided oil side rather than you, you're holding your own information. So they're not only unlocking you and making it so you're ready to take that in, then they're slamming that in with a laser and completely drowning out everything, which is the complete opposite of like a, a Buddhist monk or a meditation master who would go out into the forest and go out into nature and meditate and try and reach that state where he's ready to receive information. And that information was going to be the functional world around him. And he was going to start picking up the functionings of nature. Now, instead, you're getting a laser-like slamming of whatever the television or radio or your chosen medium wants to slam into you. Like you see so many of these kids walking around that can't even function without music in the background. And it's well known that music's been taken over many years ago. They're just consistently taking in that programming. So to put this, I mean, I hope people understand the importance of what we're talking about here. So if you throw aside your ideas of gender and you go to the philosophical old alchemical principles, if something has been made to be more feminine, it's receptive, right? If it's more feminine, it's going to be receptive. So if your body was put in a philosophically more feminine state and then they hit you with high powered amplitude frequencies, hint, hint, hint wireless, TV, whatever, um, it's almost like a blank hard drive written, ready to be written to. But what I was going to get to is, but is it's overwriting, isn't it? Like, so if you had just say a six-sided thing and you, you proved everything that you're going to try to prove here, and then you introduced a salt that had the memory of a 12-sided cymatic pattern and you found that it overwrote the sixth side, you'd begin to be able to demonstrate that the higher the frequency of the cymatic pattern overwrites the lower frequencies. Or who knows, maybe the reverse of that is true. I don't know. But my point is, if any of this can be proven out to be true, you could almost get to a point where someone could pee in a bottle, send it to you, you could flash freeze it, and now you could know some things. A hundred percent. This is where we're talking about epigenetic memories. Right. And accessing, accessing epigenetic memories, which scientifically have been proven out. And this is why this is so key and it's so important. Because when you look at, when you start looking at a plant, the plant, the bioavailability of the highest oil is never there. You have to take and you have to oxycarbolate the highest oil in order to make that bioavailable. Now, now that it's bioavailable, it's capable of doing its secondary job, which is its real job, which is to go down and open up that most stable cell salt and now make that bioavailable. That wasn't before with that, with that carbon locking up the cell. So when you oxycarbolate it, now it's able to open that up because now it's reached its pure feminine stage it's able to open up that ancestral cell salt. And these are the salts that, that your father passes on. This is how your family's wisdom carries through, is that the salts of your father pass in with the mother who takes in the essence. The man is very salty, 
And his, his part of that is very salty. And the woman's part is very oily and the two unlock and make a baby. Well, the same thing now as that baby, just like a plant, his highest oil is, isn't bioavailable yet. And neither is his lowest salt. So when he takes that and makes that bioavailable, and this is where Odin throws his eye down the well and to his ancestral memories and starts reading out of his cellular salts. Well, I, I mean, this, this opens up so many things. I'm, I'm thinking about, the, you know, this is making me think a new way about like the, sh- the, the Schuessler's or the Highland cell salts um, that I'd be using. I know they're effective, but you know what this means, of course, if you can prove out what you're saying, is that those salts we buy, there's a memory in those. Where'd that memory come from? They're produced in a factory, probably. So now you start to get into, yeah, it could help you grow your hair back or help you go to the bathroom. Like I think it's the number three cell salt that's basically just plaster of Paris. But it, for people who can't go to the bathroom regularly every day, that one thing alone, drinking hot tea, you'll almost immediately go to the bathroom, proving the value of the salts to the body. But my point is, is if we get down to a more subtle level, who knows what memory we're ingesting when we take those salts? Is exactly. it a good one? Yeah. What about something like Morton's mass-produced thing that everybody buys for super cheap? Iodized. Do you think there could be anything malicious done there if desired? Absolutely, because you're, again, you could be writing that in, and now that vibration is entered into your body. You're, you're taking in those memories and, and implementing them into your system. This is, this is where all of your ancestral memories lie. This is part of why all your ancient cultures, your more tribal cultures, and this is another giant thing, is is that they used to bury their family right underneath them and lived right on top of their family. Well, them salts are still giving out a vibration. If you, it's only through Shakespearean theater that we get this idea that you picked up a, a, a skull and had a conversation with a disembodied voice. The, the, more, the more scientific and reasonable explanation is, is that your crystals are vibrating with the crystals that are next to you, and you're picking up those memories and accessing them. Let's draw the line. There's books out there that tell you there's 12 cell salts. The problem with this, of course, is how you view the zodiac, uh, how the boundaries of the zodiac are drawn. But for me, I know damn well um, silica has a bearing on the strength of my hair, and this would be true of anyone. But the contention is, depending on the part of the year you're born in, um, naturally, you might be stronger or more deficient in these salts. So the 12 cell salts tie to the sky clock. And if I can pull them from memory, which I think I can, because I've read the book a number of times and I, well, I order the bio salts, which is all of them put together. I'm starting to rethink all this now when I'm thinking about the possible memory that I might be ingesting that I know nothing about. Um, you have calcium fluoride, which is off, often called calc floor. You have calcium phosphate, which is calc phos, iron phosphate, which is ferrum phos. And I think the, the, the weird sounding one that I do second might be the older classification. I'm not sure. Uh, potassium chloride would be cali myrrh. Uh, potassium phosphate would be cali phos. Potassium sulfate would be cali sulf. Uh, magnesium phosphate would be mag phos. Sodium chloride would be nat myrrh. Sodium phosphate would be nat phos. Sodium sulfate would be nat sulf. Silica would be silicea. And calcium 
which one's sulfate, cal calcium sulfate would be calc sulf. Those are the 12 salts, which in the modern era, some guy named Dr. Schusler, another German, of course, was the guy who outlined these. But apparently in the United States, there's at least one or two numbers which have been switched. I think it's the number three and the number 12. So instead of saying December on the 12, it might be different in other parts of the world. And this tends to matter because what you're saying is you can use the cell salts in the same way Spigurus did. And just so you totally get what we're talking about, without factories and medical places we could order vitamins from, if you wanted these salts, you would go out to your garden and you would pick an herb or some plant that has ingested these salts. That's really normally how a human being would get them. So you think I dropped anything there, Ben? No, that that's beautiful. And to explain how further how the the sky clock is uh, important in this, understand that you are of, of a higher plane than a plant. So it's easy to take and look at the cycles of a plant and understand that you work the same way, just in a longer cycle. So in a plant, in the in the morning, that plant right after the moon has been up and hitting that plant, that plant is maximum feminine. Then throughout the day, as the sun hits it and it starts burning off more of the oil, which when you go into your garden in that, in the morning and right when the sunrise hits it, it it's, it's an, it's a sensual smell. It's so strong and so clean. And that's that feminine oil immediately burning off. And throughout the day, that's going to continue on. And the plant is going to become, in the balance of things, more salty. And so it's going to become more masculine. And then at, by the end of the day, it's going to reach its mas masculine peak. And the sun's going to go away. And it's going to start becoming more feminine. And it's going to start rising. So all throughout that entire time period, there was a, there was a balance of salt to uh, oil ratio. And so different salts were uh, available and different things were active. Now, when you look at yourself throughout the yearly cycle in the peak of summer is when you're the most masculine is throughout the summertime when you're, you're constantly burning off all of your oils and your skin's getting really dry. Then throughout the winter, when the sun isn't beating you is when you carry on the, when you become the most feminine. So throughout that entire circle, each, each month, you are a different, a slightly different ratio. And so the different things are active. Now, now think about why programming comes in the fall as you're beginning to feminize, which is receptive. But there's one more thing I'll add about the salts real quick. People are probably going to go look up the 12 Schusler cell salts. There is a book. If you look it up, I don't know the name of it. It's the salts of salvation or something. Yep. The you salts can look of salvation. The right. The 12, the Zodiac and the 12 salts of salvation. There you go. And so there's a big pull-out color thing that shows the human body lined up on the Zodiac. Um, and again, this is, you know, you, you've got to scrutinize. But when you get the salts, there's a little potency number that will come. It could be X30 or 30X, or it could be like 3X or X3. The reverse of what you think is going on is what's going on. In other words, the potency of 6X is more potent than 30x and the reason is if i remember this correctly is each step is a 10-part dilution so 6x would actually represent was diluted six times per 10 parts right six times per 10 parts 
So, of course, if it went up to 30, it would be 30 times per 10 parts. So, to get the purest, it will be a lower number, 6x or x6. I think the lowest one I've seen is 3, 3x. That would be the most potent. But if you're going to do this, you should probably get the book. And the great thing about the book, and it sounds like Ben has read it, um, I've referenced it, I don't know, for years now, and it has the full-color pull-out chart. The great thing about it is it describes the zodiacal scriptures or the scriptures that pair off with the encoded meanings in scripture with the zodiacal ideas because they were hidden there. Um, and this is, of course, Schusler's interpretation, uh, but there's a lot of interesting information there. Have you read the book, Ben? I, I have not completely read through it, but I've definitely uh, read sections of it so far, and I've got it on order um, to own it. So I, because well, I, I, I don't like the PDFs, I can do sections, but I can't do, I can't sit down and just read a PDF. Well, the great thing about the real book is in the back of it, there's a foldout folds out like three or four pages and it has a big color uh it, it matches the colors with the zodiac that he's using and parts of the body with the zodiac which i mean five six seven years ago i was showing people that the zodiacal signs match a part of the body um and all these things but the scriptural stuff is very interesting um and by the way this was back in the day when this was all put together not quite before the modern era but much earlier in the modern era, as we can all tell by looking out our window today, the closer to the modern era we got, the more nonsense that was piled on us, just to be perfectly clear. But where do you want to take the conversation? I think we've done a good, good, idea, good job delineating that cymatics creates form, that everything has a vibrational rate, that Emoto showed that basically memory can be established in liquid or water more specifically. Your contention is that the place in the water where the memory is occurring is in the salts themselves. But actually, I think we're at the top of the hour. So what we're going to do is, first of all, Ben, do you have a place where people can contact you or do you want to show up in comments? How do you want to do this? Absolutely. I will show up in the comments. And uh, also you can look at my YouTube on Benjamin Balderson. I'm on with James True every Saturday, and then my website is theheathenwizards.com. Okay, cool. So what you'll need to do when we get done recording today, send me an email with a email address and a username you'd like me to use. If you currently have a account, which I know you do, that needs to be reactivated, identify that account in some meaningful way so I can find it. Um, Jason, anything you want to add before I start to wrap up hour one of 241? I love the simplicity in which Ben explained all this, and I think we've got a lot more interesting things to get to in the second hour. You know, people have lost track of all the amazing stuff nature does. When we talk to Clive and say, hey, Clive, uh, we need some fulvic minerals. And by the way, my, my wife had like a little cyst thing that went away in four freaking days. A little white cyst thing on her lower eyelid that she's had for like three or four years. We started doing the sea and the fulvic minerals, and that thing went away so quickly. I couldn't imagine how quickly it went away. And that goes to show you the idea of that is demonstrated in the leaf litter in a pristine old growth forest under an old oak tree or something like that. If you took a handful of that and made mud out of it and drank the mud, you'd be getting the real deal from nature. That's where we derive all these things. So the, the ideas that Ben is laying down here have my head spinning. Because, yeah, man, I know damn well if I take the silica or silicea or in the United States, number 12 cell salt, it will strengthen my hair. As a matter of fact, it makes my fingernails harder. 
And for me, that's supposed to be one that I'm lacking. For my wife, I think it's number three or four, I forget. And that also relates to basically what plaster of Paris is made of. It lines the digestive tracts, parts of your digestive tract. But all these things originally, um, for, for an alchemist to have any of this, it would have been drawn directly from a plant and cymatically or spagyrically removed from a plant to get down to that salt. So if Ben is correct, and I have no reason to doubt it, that there is in that salt a memory, would you rather get it from a factory and whatever memory came from that process or from a basil plant in your garden? But anyhow, that does bring hour one of 241 to a close. When we come back, we're going to get into a ton of things. We're going to take it further on a moto and talk about some other things. I might even try to relate it over to the beehives a little more because what he brought to the table about bumblebees is absolutely amazing to me. And Jason and I have been considering trying to do a cymatic movie, but join us on the other side at crow777radio.com, crr ow 777 radio.com members can access the second hour that is the only real crow site there are a number of frauds doing fraudulent things so crow triple seven radio is the only one and we hope to see you it's conversations like this where we can blow it open and as we started to allude to tv and media only so much of that we can do in hour one or guess what someone comes and stomps out our video there it is man join us on the other side cheers
enemies of knowing. Come.